North-South Connection Podcast Network. I don't know how, but we are back for round two. Happy whatever the hell day it is out there in listener land. This is Johnny C, and welcome to the Multiverse of Fabulousness. Uh, I want to thank everyone that uh, reached out to me after the first episode premiered last month, and uh, for all the kind words and for all the well wishes, and uh, oh, hey, that was a little bit of fun to listen to, but you kind of sucks that I got as well. Uh, regardless, whatever that feedback is, keep it coming and keep listening. The last time we all got together, it was a hell of a lot of fun. We uh, sort of talked about our concept, and in case it's your first episode, I, I want to talk about what we're going to be doing here on this lovely podcast for the foreseeable future. So last time around, we uh, we kind of jumped off to another planet in the multiverse called Earth Crockett, which was inhabited by uh, WCW wrestlers in, in the spot where WWF wrestlers were supposed to be, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. So... If that doesn't explain it enough, let's go a little bit deeper. On this show, we look through the multiverse. I pick out a random planet in this wonderful multiverse of ours where it's an Earth kind of like the one you and I are used to, Earth Zero or Earth Prime, depending on, you know, which side the coin lands on. And we look at the differences, specifically differences revolving around our favorite topics in pop culture, professional wrestling, Anything that makes me chuckle. Today, though, things are going to get a little risky. I've, um, I received a letter in the mail, and it, it, it was the, the government reaching out to me, letting me know that they had a mission for me that was going to be dangerous, a mission that could be threatening. Some might even say this mission could be considered suicide. Based on my ridiculous love, for the brand new HBO Max limited series Peacemaker, starring everybody's favorite Marine turned color coordinated combatant John Cena, we are going to look at Earth Squad, spelled in an intense way with a K A W D, because we are hardcore, and we're going to investigate this strange Earth where the members of the Suicide Squad are actually all portrayed by professional wrestlers. Thanks to the wonderful audition given by John Cena. Now, if anyone is out there and not familiar with the concept of the Suicide Squad, have no fear. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm a giant nerd, and I will explain the Suicide Squad in due time. However, before I do, I want to put this disclaimer out there. This podcast will probably, most likely, almost 100% contain spoilers for, at a minimum, the 2016-ish Suicide Squad movie, if it's 2016, 2015, I, I don't care. The Suicide Squad, which came out in 2021, possibly any other DC movie like Justice League, Batman v Superman, Man of Steel, whatever, and potentially Peacemaker. It may not. I don't know, guys. It's not like I've recorded it yet. I don't do these things and then come back and, and you know put down the intro. Uh, I, I'm a one-man band. I just do this live into a microphone and hope to God that somebody hears it. So putting that out there right now, if you haven't seen those movies, I'm sorry. It's too late. So what the hell is the Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad is historically a team made up of supervillains from the DC Comics universe. That's the one with the fake cities, kiddos, not the real cities or the ones that are on Disney. These are the cool ones. 
uh, your Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman universes, Shazam, Aquaman, Green Lantern. I'm going to keep going if you don't tell me to stop. Anyway, so the, the basic gist of the concept of the Suicide Squad is that when super villains get arrested, they usually get some pretty harsh sentences because they break a lot of laws. Um, you know, hell, I think that robbing a bank with a boomerang is a minimum of 10 to 15 in 49 of the 50 states. So Captain Boomerang is always fucked when these things happen. So anywho, these supervillains, they find themselves arrested. And there's a shady, shady government agent named Amanda Waller. The Wall, if you will. And no, she's not full of malice. She's an actual comic book character, not a TNA performer. And Amanda Waller will come to these supervillains. Not just any supervillains. The villainist of the villains. The worst of the worst, if you will. It's sort of a anti-top gun in her super secret, federally funded supervillain prison, Belle Reeve. And she will uh, give these supervillains a choice. Work for me on secret government black ops missions that we cannot be associated with as the United States government. And for every successful mission, we will shave certain amount of years, it's always sort of left up into the ether as to how many it is, uh, off of your sentence. So, you know, you help us kill a dictator in Porto Motiz we don't like, ah, I tell you what, I'll take two years off the top for you. What she doesn't tell them is that before each mission starts, she will insert an explosive device into the base of their skull. And if at any time they fail to complete their mission, follow her orders, or try to abandon the squad, she will detonate the bomb, killing them instantly in a very super gross R-rated explosion of head. But does everybody want? Indeed. All right, so let's put a bow on this concept, finish up our intro, and get on to the main event and set our rules. So in Earth Squad, the producers of the Suicide Squad film are so enamored with the performance of John Cena in his audition that they instantly decide on the spot to cast wrestlers in all the main comic book roles. So that's the easy setup right there. Now, what are our rules going to be for this particular scenario? Well, it's going to be a bit of a fun, crazy one, because I'm going to tell you right now, the first rule is any wrestler, sports entertainer, whatever you want to call it, is on the table, with the exception of David Arquette. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't know he could handle in these roles. Uh, but they can. The, the the main gist of this though is they can be alive or dead, which I know is sort of uh, morose to think about. But I didn't want my choices to be limited, uh, and I wanted to. And this is important. Number two rule: have representation from across all the eras. You know, if I just went all rock and wrestling or all attitude, all ruthless or all modern era, what are we going to call the modern era? Like the Kevin Dunn quick cut era or the. Wah, 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 wah. That's me throwing a punch, and every time I make impact, the, the camera angle cuts and shifts and zooms in and yada yada and gives me a fucking stroke. Maybe that's what we'll call this era. So representation across the eras, and the reason for casting has to be more than skin deep. Their wrestling character has to have personality traits in common with the character that they are portraying. Um, important disclaimer I want to put out there. I did not gender bend this go around. Um, while I'm certainly in favor of that in films and, and casting practices in general, since these supervillains are kind of 
not as well known. I wanted to stick to the true comic book counterparts as much as possible in order to give everyone sort of a, a fun time, maybe learning something new about some characters they haven't uh, experienced before. All right, so let's get this bad boy started off right at the top. The Wall, Amanda Waller, the corrupt government bureaucrat that sits atop the pyramid of the Suicide Squad. Let's talk about what are some of the traits of Amanda Waller. She has no problem lying to your face. She has no problem executing her subordinates when they are no longer necessary. She has no problem pressing a button while drinking a lovely glass of Chardonnay, executing someone thousands of miles away by making their head explode. She also has no problems sending you to your immediate death for reasons you don't understand. And to top it all off, she inspires revolution amongst her co-workers and hate amongst her peers. Who better to take the reins of the wall than the most creative lady in wrestling history, Stephanie McMahon? I don't even think I have to dive deep into it. Let's talk. think about all those traits I just listed off. And if you don't think Stephanie McMahon fits any of those, I don't think you follow the character. I think it's a perfect fit. I absolutely hate, 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 hate. I want to make this very clear. Amanda Waller is traditionally a black character. I, Stephanie McMahon is just too perfect for the wall to, to not be the selection. Um, I, I like it, you know, I, I don't want to dig into it. I hope everyone can tell that it's not something I'm proud of doing. I didn't want to do it, but at the end of the day, it's too perfect of a fit, and I hope that the the glory of the selection will take away uh, from that choice that was made. So Amanda Waller sitting on top, Stephanie McMahon's on top, holding the reins of this thing, making all the creative decisions, whether the Suicide Squad, which is actually a great name for, you know, the professional wrestlers that they hire, the independent contractors, excuse me. They're just Stephanie McMahon and Triple H's private little suicide squad. Nah, I don't really believe that. I'm not that jaded. I think Stephanie McMahon, obviously, as a CCO or a, an executive, has probably made a, a lot of good decisions that have honestly impacted a lot of people in positive ways. But the wrestling character she's portrayed is a perfect 10 match for Amanda Waller. So as the film progresses, and this is when we're going to get into spoilers, guys, so turn back now if you haven't already. So in the Suicide Squad, Amanda Waller basically forms two different teams of supervillains to complete uh, the super secret mission that they are tasked with. Okay. Now, the first team we're going to discuss is Team A, also known as the Diversion. This is a team that was composed specifically to distract the military of the country they're invading and to fail miserably at their jobs. Uh, basically, it's a bunch of patsies that are set up to die. Our first patsy is probably my favorite of the bunch, the supervillain known as Javelin. Now, if you're not a complete nerd like I am, you don't know that Javelin is an Olympic-level athlete who participated, actually, in the Javelin Toss event in the Olympics. He's at the peak of the human condition and eventually battles the Green Lantern with weaponized versions of Javelins. So, he's a dude that throws a Javelin. 
Now, in the film, what this rule calls for is someone with a funny accent. Because in the movie, he's just a guy with a funny accent that makes you laugh, who eventually explodes or dies or gets shot. I can't recall. Oh, gets shot, I think, and bleeds out on the beach and dies. A horrendous, hilarious death. Because as he's dying, he's saying things with his funny accent. So who do we know in the professional wrestling world that can give us a funny accent? We know Santino. I'm sorry. I think I probably just shattered your eardrums. But it's Santino Morella coming out to us, you know, from the, the Canadian uh, wilderness where I think he lives. Actually, I just I know it's so funny because Santino Morella is like, just, you know, hearing him talk for real. It, it doesn't sound anything like Santino Morella. And that's that's sort of the fun of it. But, man. Can he really entertain a group of wrestling fans? And I think that his accent work, his comedy, his comedic timing, his facials, things like that would just be a perfect, perfect representation of the Javelin that they need for this film. So, book it. It's official. Javelin is now Santino Marilla. Next on the dossier, we have Weasel. Now, Weasel is kind of a weird character because in the film, Weasel is a bipedal weasel basically like a, a fucking werewolf afghan hound weasel he doesn't talk i mean he's a he's a giant animal okay um in the comics weasel is a guy who's picked on and called a weasel by his classmates and later he dresses like a weasel to extract revenge and become a, uh, a serial killer but don't worry the CGI cartoon animated weasel in the movie that's actually a fucking animal weasel is also responsible for murder we're told that he has killed 27 children, and that's why he's been incarcerated and given this chance to get some of his sentence reduced uh, by joining the Suicide Squad. So I'm kind of at a crossroads here. While I think it's great that uh, computer-generated imagery exists in cinema, I'm getting really tired of looking at it. So we're going to go practical. We're going to go to a guy in a suit, and we're going to assume, though, that this Guy in a suit is not actually a guy in a suit. It's a guy in a suit portraying a living, breathing, walking, talking animal. And who better to portray this animal that has no words, doesn't speak at all in the film, and dies instantly when they skydive out of the plane and he drowns because he can't swim. We're going to cast Survivor Series mainstay, the gobbledygooker. And we're going to cut the post credit scene where it's revealed that Weasel actually lives and just have the gobbledygooker literally splash around in the water and drown, dying in the first five minutes. A little... That's him falling under the water and running out of air. So, he's dead. Weasel is a gobbledygooker. It's official. There's no going back. Let's roll. All right, now, if you'll pardon the expression, our next character has a little more meat on the bones to discuss. The next member of the Suicide Squad diversion team is a new character known as TDK. And while that may instantly bring to your mind uh, the flashes of the Dark Knight, it actually disappointingly stands for the Detachable Kid. Now, like I said, the Detachable Kid is a, a kind of a new supervillain that was invented for the film. Uh, but as a frame of reference, writer-director James Gunn used the random Legion of Superheroes character arm fall off boy as his inspiration so the detachable kid is played by a perennial favorite character actor nathan fillion 
who I know was on some TV show on like ABC, I think. I don't know what it is. He was on Fire. He was, excuse me, on. He was in Firefly. Uh, you know, he's one of those early Joss Whedon guys, uh, who I think has probably distanced himself from Joss Whedon, but gets a pass. Not because he's like a prick getting a pass. I'm just saying like, he's kind of, um, endeared himself to fandom. So it was kind of a fun little exercise in casting him because it sort of set the expectation that it might be a more, uh, important role or a character that we would learn to enjoy and sort of, uh, I don't know, enjoy seeing what they were up to, I guess, if you pardon the, uh, the poor choice of words. So what we need to do, oh, and I should probably explain, Arm Fall Off Boy, the detachable kid, his superpower is that he can detach his arms from his body and basically use them with his mind. So I don't know if you're upstairs and the Bengals are about to play in the AFC championship game and you really want a beer from your mini fridge downstairs. You can detach your arms and make them walk down the steps or float or whatever and uh, grab you a beer, bring it back and reattach to you. Now, that's kind of goofy and I kind of love it. And the reason I specifically bring up Nathan Fillion is that I wanted to also sort of stunt cast and, you know, we don't have you know, perennial Comic-Con favorites on the WWE roster, although guys like the New Day have certainly endeared themselves to nerd culture, and New Day, I thank you for that. Thank you for dressing up like Final Fantasy characters at WrestleMania Roller Coaster. Back to TDK, though, I wanted to cast someone uh, that audiences would recognize, a, a higher-profile wrestler, and since we're dealing with arms, I'm going to cast the Viper, the Legend Killer, the, uh, how many warning names does fucker have? It doesn't matter. Randy Orton is a detachable kid, and here's why. Two things. One, I'm hoping that, uh, when he detaches his arms in the opening scene before he's, you know, shot to death, they could find a way for him to make his arms give, uh, one of the soldiers an RKO for no reason whatsoever. Just an, a, an RKO with arms, no body. I mean, this shit writes itself. It would be glorious. But on the flip side, I am concerned that having his arms feature so prominently in the film, independent the rest of his body, may lead to a lawsuit from his tattoo artist. But on Earth Squad, I guess they don't allow lawsuits, so Randy Orton can safely, uh, you know, assume the position as a detachable kid, and uh, it's locked in. Next, we have Mongal. So Mongal is the female twin sister, which I guess is a bit redundant, uh, saying female and sister in the same sentence. But the reason I bring that up is that her twin brother is Mongol, which is a, a much better known character of Enemy of Superman. He's sort of a giant, yeah, think the Incredible Hulk, but with armor, and he's yellow, I believe, colorblind. Don't hold it against me if he's orange or some shit. And he is the dictator of War World, which is basically a... Roman Colosseum gladiator fights that travel through space and, uh, you know, find the, the greatest fighters in the galaxies and universes and multiverses and make them fight each other for control of war world. So Mongol has, uh, even though he's like a top tier Superman villain, he has a much, much lower tier twin sister named Mongal, who has basically all the powers of Mongol, um, except she's able to um, give birth. I mean, it's unfortunately one of these characters that doesn't have a lot to it. It's like a, a palette swap, if you will. Uh, you know, you're playing an old fighting game, and sometimes you get the uh, 
the Ryu from Street Fighter wearing the red. Sometimes you get the one wearing the navy blue or whatever. Unfortunately, Mongal has kind of been reduced to just a gender swap of Mongol. That being said, in the Suicide Squad film, she dies a glorious death by doing absolutely nothing except for jumping on to the uh, legs of a helicopter. Uh, there may be a more technical term for that, but I am not a pilot, so I don't know what it is. Afterwards, uh, maybe we can get Conrad to ask Eric Bischoff what the little bottom parts of the helicopters are called. If you're willing to subscribe and pay for it, I'm sure you can get the question answered. Moving forward, though, we need an equally powerful female superstar that we believe could be stupid enough to jump onto a helicopter and inadvertently pull it down so it crashes upon you, blowing you to itty-bitty little pieces. And what better character to become Mongal than internet darling Nia Jax? I mean, again, it kind of writes itself. She jumps on the helicopter, screams, pulls it down, and as it crashes on top of her, she can yell my hole. I don't think there's anyone better. It's Nia Jax, and I'm not going to spend any more time talking about Mongal. Not because Mongal's... Actually, you know what? Mongal is not a worthy character and probably shouldn't have been in the movie in the first place, but I don't care. I'm not one of those nerds. But at the same time, there's nothing to really go for. So it's Nia Jax, her hole is in pain, and so is my brain. Let's see, who do we have next? Oh, Savant. So Savant is a, a very, very interesting character. Um, in a sense that he's not really super interesting, which is probably why he's on the, uh, the Diversion Death Squad. But uh, he's also played by fa uh, character actor favorite Michael Rooker from Guardians of the Galaxy, Volumes 1 and 2, as uh, Yondu. Uh, I know him best from JFK and Cliffhanger, uh, where he plays Sylvester Stallone's buddy in Cliffhanger, and Sylvester Stallone inadvertently murders his fiance in the opening scene, and uh, his perennially raspy voice is badass, and I really like him. That being said, his comic book counterpart, Savant, he's a genius-level intellect, sort of a, a master thief, uh, hacker, if you will, um, but because of a chemical imbalance, he often exhibits extreme forgetfulness. Now, you wouldn't know this from watching The Suicide Squad, but if you've read him in Birds of Prey or, you know, I guess looked it up on Wikipedia, this is kind of a defining character trait. And his very, very long, stringy, greasy, ugly hair. And I know I said that the relationship couldn't be just skin deep. So, uh, excuse me when I recommend for Savant, the legendary Brett the Hitman Hart, not only because he also has a <clears throat> genius-level intellect, he also has long, stringy, greasy, ugly, disgusting hair, and often exhibits extreme forgetfulness, especially when asked who the greatest performer of all time in the squared circle is. Um, also... Savant is the character in the film that's used to exhibit the power of the skull bombs, meaning that when his entire team is getting ambushed, he runs away and tries to escape, getting his head exploded, uh, which is probably the best comparison I can ever come up with to uh, Bret Hart making the move to WCW at the uh, end of 97. So this shit writes itself. We're going to book it in stone as Savant, the forgetful spy. We've got the shit man. Or the Hitman. Okay, it's the Hitman. I'm too mean. I'm just not a Bret Hart fan. And at his expense, I had a little fun. I'm sorry, Bret.
All right, now we're pretty close to, to wrapping up the diversion team here. I got a few more left. Uh, the first one is Blackguard, played by SNL favorite Pete Davidson, who I think is fucking one of the Kardashians in a true representation of how life is not fair. Um, Pete Davidson plays Blackguard in the film, and the Blackguard that's in the movie is a, he doesn't have a lot in common with his comics counterpart. Um, but there are some traits that, that do carry over. So Blackguard uh, is a supervillain that's covered in black armor. Uh, he also has a black, black mask with kind of a little knight's ponytail on it sometimes. And he works for a group called the 100. And I know Blackguard because he's one of the main supervillains of my favorite comic books character, Booster Gold, who never met a company he didn't want to endorse and put the patch on his jacket. He's a time traveler from the future that wants to be a superhero to become rich and famous, a man after my own heart. But Booster Gold's not in the movie. It's Blackguard. And Blackguard's the, one of Blackguard's defining characteristics is he's always in the, the palms of this group called the 100. They're this secret society, deep state group, whatever you want to call it, of influencers, uh, not the kind on Instagram, but like the ones that have money and influence society. And, uh, you know, so they're always sending him on missions. So I need someone who is constantly being forced to show off for those who are better than him. Um, it's kind of a asshole because in the film, Blackguard is the member of the Suicide Squad diversion team who tries to sell out the squad's arrival to the country that they are invading. And uh, in the opening scene, gets himself killed for doing that when he reveals the squad's location, thinking that he's about to be handsomely rewarded. So he's an asshole. Um, and not to mention, Blackguard's real name is Richard Hertz, which loosely translates to Dick Hertz. And again, he looks like Pete Davidson. So what better counterpart than perennial I'm almost there guy, Dolph Ziggler, the show off? His character is always trying to show off. Uh, he needs to show the world. He needs to show the world. Come on! Sorry again for the eardrums, but this is what happens when you podcast under the influence. So Dolph Ziggler is a show off. He has ridiculous bleach blonde hair. And his name is Dolph Ziggler, which is just a little bit less egregious than Dick Hurts, but very similar. And I also believe the Dolph Ziggler character would sell out his peers to better his own career. Um, yeah, I think it's perfect. Not to mention, they just the, the kind of, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge P. Davidson fan. I don't have anything against the guy, per se. I'm not a huge Dolph Ziggler fan, so it just kind of fits perfectly. Uh, let's put him on the shelf. He's locked in. Perennial booster gold jobber is perennial world champion jobber Dolph Ziggler. So there's there's one more sacrifice to go. And I guess in the, the words of my favorite 90s rock band Creed, this one would be my sacrifice because this is a character that I really enjoy. He actually uh, made it through the first Suicide Squad film, A-OK. -okay. Um, he's played by perennial jobber Jai Courtney. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody out there knows who Jai Courtney is. He's an actor that plays Captain Boomerang in the Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad films. So, yeah, spoiler, it's, it's Captain Boomerang we're talking about here, the, uh, the outlaw from the outback. Now, I like Captain Boomerang. He's a Flash villain. Uh, Jai Courtney is actually pretty decent in the role pretty much just screaming madman type things. He's treated like he's a crazy bastard because he's from Australia. Uh, and he throws boomerangs, all kinds. 
boomerang lasers, boomerangs that explode, boomerangs that split and cut people's heads off, etc., etc. It's it's a pretty cool gimmick, to be honest with you. But he, like I said, he's played by Jai Courtney, who is just he's like the cinematic equivalent or the Hollywood equivalent of like Eric Watts. Jai Courtney was gifted so much. If you think about the roles that he has been, I don't want to say given because I guess he's earned them by auditioning, but this guy played. He's like a nostalgia buster. He played Bruce Willis's kid in that shitty Die Hard movie that takes place in Russia. Nothing against Russia. It's just a fucking shitty Die Hard movie because it stopped being Die Hard a long time ago. Then he gets to play the uh, new version of Kyle Reese from the Terminator series in that ill-fated Terminator reboot quill with uh, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones who... Actually, I'm not going to say one bad thing about her. Um, but yeah, so, and he, he's awful there too. So he's been giving all these amazing character roles, like things that the people are, you know, in their late 30s, 40s are supposed to be nostalgic for, and he's just fucking been the opposite of crushing it. But, uh, I know who can crush the role of Captain Boomerang, who, like I said, is basically, uh, just a drunk who throws boomerangs and yells crazy things. He's got a crazy Australian accent, he does. Um, no offense to everybody in Australia. That's just kind of what it sounds like to my ears. I'm not going with uh, a crazy Australian, though. I'm going with, which is why Courtney is, apparently. I'm going with a suicide Scotsman, because Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, my tag team partner, Monsoon, is going to take on the role of Captain Boomerang. Uh, he's here to drink beer and throw boomerangs, and he's all out of beer. Um, I don't know. I think it's uh, it's a great way to get uh, Roddy Piper in there. You know, he's such a cornerstone, and this is probably jaded by the fact that I've been recently watching uh, the first WrestleMania. Uh, he's just an icon. Uh, I cower over nothing. He's an icon. Um, he's a fantastic sports entertainer that, you know, transitioned to something greater uh, and then came back to sports entertainment, ended up cutting a promo on that TNA pay-per-view where he's talking about, like, the local boys uh, at his gym on KWFB Channel 22. Those probably aren't actually the call signs or the uh, TV station, but uh, that's probably the last time before I watched WrestleMania 1 that I encountered Mr. Piper. But, yeah, he'll throw some boomerangs. He'll go batshit crazy. He'll talk uh, hilarious jokes with Harley Quinn on the airplane. Oh, spoiler, Harley Quinn's in this one, too. We'll get to her later because she uh, survives this initial encounter. Uh, He'll kill some people with his trick boomerangs. Uh, uh, And then, you know, he'll die in a fiery blaze like Captain Boomerang does. So, Roddy Roddy Piper, we love you. We're bringing her in for this one. And Lord knows, in the end of the day, you're always better than Jai Courtney. Okay, so now we get to move forward to the second Suicide Squad team, the team of survivors, or the main characters. Uh, This is the team that lasts through most of the film, and they're our main characters. We actually follow them around, and the characters are a hell of a lot more important and get a lot more screen time than the diversion team. Now, there are a couple of asterisks here, uh, the first being Colonel Rick Flagg. Now, Colonel Flagg is a character that is basically Waller's right-hand man, but he's also the field commander of the Suicide Squad, so, you know, he gets to make decisions, he's a tactical weapons expert, etc., etc., sort of the core of the team. He's the type of character that will do what is necessary but also in the end, always try to do the right thing. And he's one of our three cornerstones of the team. You've got Colonel Rick Flagg, who, you know, I'll save the others for later. 
So Curl Flag is actually on the diversion team, but survives and makes it to the second part of the movie and meets up with this team. And I'm going to have him portrayed by another All-American boy, Hulk Hogan. I mean, what can be said about Hulk Hogan that hasn't already been said? Except for the fact that I do think that he would be able to play the role of a conflicted military official who is, or soldier, not so much official, who's supposed to follow orders, but in the end has to do what's right for the country, brother. Uh, Colonel Flag is later in the film murdered by Peacemaker, which I'm just going to go ahead and hit up now. He's one other one of our cornerstone characters. He's going to continue to be played by Cena, as I mentioned in the intro. This Cena owns this character. Uh, it's a fantastic addition to the DCEU. He is completely blowing things away in the Peacemaker show on HBO Max. If you are not watching it, you need to. He's fantastic. You're going to laugh your ass off, uh, have little tears, and you get to meet Eagly, Peacemaker's best friend and companion. So back to Colonel Flag, though. It's going to be Hulk Hogan, and he's going to end up fighting Peacemaker in the film, which means we get Hogan versus Cena once in a lifetime, never before, never again, etc., etc. And, yeah, I know that Hulk Hogan isn't the best person in the world, but... We're going to use the, uh, maybe we'll use the 1991-92 version, you know, that doesn't hesitate to throw ashes in the face of the Undertaker, but also things don't sit with him too well when he gets thrown over the top rope by Sid Justice, brother. Uh, so, Colonel Flag is the all-American boy, the cornerstone Hulk Hogan, and Peacemaker is still going to be John Cena. The next character on the list is another character that survives that initial beach encounter, and honestly, folks, she's probably the best-known character out of all this. She is the paramour of the clown prince of crime himself, none other than the joyful jester, the queen of Quinzel's, Harley Quinn, uh, played by the ever-fantastic Margot Robbie uh, in Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad, and the Harley Quinn Emancipation, Birds of Prey, yada, 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 etc. film, where she is also the best part of that movie. It's almost sort of a cheat um, because I feel like the wrestler I've chosen not only has tried to sort of personify Harley Quinn in her ring entrances and her attire over the years, um, but also I think has a character right now that, while a little bit more supernatural in nature, uh, currently in therapy, Dr. Harlan Guinzel was a therapist, so it's kind of perfect. It's Alexa Bliss, and I knew that was obvious. You probably, when you uh, saw the description of what this podcast was going to be about, you knew right away that Johnny C. was going to have to cast Alexa Bliss as Harley Quinn. But it's an absolute necessity. Not only does she look the part, she's proven that she can act the part as well. And Harley is such a cornerstone of this franchise. I cannot stress that enough. I mean, she's a great character. She sells well in terms of merchandising, um, cosplaying. People love this character. And hopefully Alexa Bliss can do justice to Margot Robbie. But this is probably one of those scenarios where no one's going to be able to match the queen herself. So, like I said, Harley Quinn is in that initial beach invasion where everyone gets killed. But she makes it to the end of the film. She survives fully, unlike Colonel Flag or Hulk Hogan brother that we discussed earlier. She's going to make it all the way to the end with her giant mallet. Actually, I think the mallet's only in the first one or the baseball bat. I can't remember. 
Oh, but she does end up with Javelin's Javelin. Uh, so can you can see Santino Morella? Oh, Holly Queen, you must take my Javelin. Um, he's probably trying to sell her his other Javelin, but she ends up taking his physical Javelin and uh, uses it to help kill Star of the Conqueror, who's the villain of the film. Again, spoilers, I warned you at the beginning. It's Alexa Bliss. Uh, she's Twisted Bliss. And she's Harley Quinn. All right, next we have The Thinker. The Thinker is sort of an enemy of the Suicide Squad, but he's still a DC Comics supervillain, so we've got to give him a sweet wrestling part. And let's talk about The Thinker for a moment. So this guy has kind of a cool look. He is a regular human, but he has all sorts of different, uh, I guess you'd call them tubes or pipes. Oh, little, little uh, shout-out to my friend Ryan Gray. Uh, if I say pipe again, he might have a little better time listening to this episode. So these kind of vials, these little pipes, these, I don't know what you would call it. Um, think like, uh, you know, you, you hold those two electric things away from one another, the little sparks come in between. I don't know. They kind of look like that, little conductors. I spent too much time on his skull set up. So he's got the shit sticking out of his head. And what it does is it reallocates the functions that his body is doing in order to give the most power to his brain so he can be one of the smartest men in the universe. Now, this comes at the expense of his other functions of his body. No jokes about shitting or peeing himself. Shit, I just made the joke. But this, the side effect of this is that other parts of his body may not develop or be as uh, articulated as his mind. And in the movie, he's also shown as having sort of a deviant sexual streak amongst him, which I'm not judging him for. I'm just saying it's there. So we need a person who is insanely intelligent. Uh, perhaps over the years, though, the rest of their body hasn't aged as well as their mind and uh, can pull off some pretty creepy uh, sexual-type vibes if necessary. What better than the advocate for the reigning, defending, universal champion, Paul Heyman? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Heyman is the mad scientist of professional wrestling. The thinker is the mad scientist of the Suicide Squad. That alone should be enough. But, uh, you know, Heyman's not... Uh, he doesn't have a full head of hair. He might have a little gut. So you sort of get this uh, feeling that perhaps because his mind has taken all the best parts or best energy that his body has produced, now it's possible that the rest of his body maybe took a dive because of it. And uh, I believe he was very creepy towards Lita that one time. So I think that settles the creepy deviantness nature of it all. So for the thinker, it's going to be... Paul Heyman, the extreme mad scientist. Couldn't think of anything better to say than the extreme mad scientist. Up next is Ratcatcher 2. Ratcatcher 2 is the heart and soul of the Suicide Squad team. She is a lady who was raised in the streets by her father, who was the Ratcatcher, a supervillain that had a device that enabled him to control rats, to do all sorts of fun things like cover them up when they were cold at night so they would stay warm and not freeze to death. So they could help uh, the rat catcher rob a bank. They could help the rat catcher maybe on a date. If the uh, rat catcher's date wants something else to eat for dinner, maybe they could go into the kitchen and make him some ratatouille or some shit. But the rat catcher, too, like I said, is the daughter uh, who is left an orphan when the rat catcher dies of a heroin overdose. 
which is kind of sad, and I don't want to make fun of him for that. So the Rat Catcher 2, like I said, is the heart and soul of the team. She is always believing that the good guys are going to come out on top, and she sort of tries to get the team to come together and really work towards a common goal. She's definitely portrayed as being a little wishy-washy. Maybe sometimes she has her heads in the clouds and is a little too believing that uh, people who she trusts will look out for her. And uh, she does have some great moments where she flips that on and off and just goes into a pretty cool rage mode with the rat catcher device and unleashes the fury of the rats when it's absolutely necessary to save herself or her teammates, who she becomes quite enamored with along the way. So I need a female competitor that can accentuate both innocence and aggression and be able to flip the switch between them back and forth. And also, it really needs to be appealing to the audience in a, in a, in a daughterly type way. I don't even know if that's the right word for it, but she's not really uh, a love interest for a male character. She's more of a surrogate daughter to the team. So I figured who better than one of the original members of the women's revolution, A.J. Lee, who I thought was just a tremendous competitor in terms of her character work. She was always entertaining. She's a perennial fan favorite, too. I mean, people love her. She does great things. She writes comic books, for God's sakes. Jesus, she's a former professional wrestler. She writes comic books. She was, a, in my opinion, better character than she was a wrestling performer. And that's not to say that she wasn't a good wrestling performer. It's just to accentuate the fact that she can really nail together the character work. So it was a, you know, it was kind of between her and Bailey because I felt like they could transition between that innocent and that violent. But I felt like at the end of the day, AJ's unhinged character was a lot better than Bailey's demented, like talk show host, annoying character. So AJ Lee is going to get the nod here. She's going to be the wreck catcher too. Once a victim of circumstance, now she's changing the set of circumstances to keep her suicide squad friends safe and will keep going forward. Everybody has their favorites, okay? Anyone who's ever reviewed a wrestling show, a movie, comic book, everybody has their favorite, their favorite wrestler, their favorite character, their favorite story, their favorite movie, etc. Our next character gets to play in the sandbox of my favorites all the time. I, I'm going to put this out there. I My favorite superhero is Aquaman, uh, which, you know, I don't I've never met a lot of people that shared that sentiment. To me, Aquaman is a perfect representation of the human experience. Uh, no, no, hold on. Before we get all crazy and try to have Johnny C committed, my point being that Aquaman is literally born for a purpose to bridge the gap between the kingdoms of the sea and the kingdoms of the land. Arthur Curry is simply a child who's born and has to discover who he is just like every other single human being. Whereas Kal-El of Krypton would have just been Kal-El of Krypton had Krypton never exploded. How many times can I say Krypton in a podcast? But if Krypton survives, Jor-El's just another member of the Krypton, or Jor-El. Kal-El's just another member of the Kryptonian race. He goes on to live his life. He's not destined to be the Superman. It's a set of circumstances. Arthur Curry was born of the land and the sea. 
So he literally is the embodiment of a bridge of peace, but maybe that's not who he wants to be. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic pool to, to swim in, if you if you pardon the expression. Plus, it's a badass, epic tale of swords, sorcery, magic, beautiful damsels in distress, which is a dated concept. Mara, Queen Mara is certainly not a damsel in distress, but if you want that swashbuckling type stuff, you can get it. Plus, it's under the ocean. It's like fucking Final Fantasy under the ocean. Aquaman's my favorite. Uh, my Aquaman crest tattoo on my forearm proves it. All that aside, the next member of the Suicide Squad is one of Aquaman's villains, King Shark. There's only one king of the seven seas. It's not King Shark. King Shark, however, is the son of the ancient shark god, and therefore he is the king of all sharks. This character, I think, was created to cre- recreate the, the, the Groot experience for the DC Comics film viewer. Everybody knows Groot. We are Groot. I am Groot. I love Groot. Baby Groot. Teenage Groot. Masturbating Groot. Uh, you know, Thor's hammer Groot. It sells. It sells. It sells. King Shark is also sort of portrayed kind of as a group type character. He's literally a walking, talking shark. He's made to be stupid. I don't know, there's no PC way for me to say it. The King Shark character is supposed to be sort of the lovable loser idiot. He's voiced by Sylvester Stallone. And, you know, his lines are usually one word, like friend or hungry. And I will admit it's funny and I do laugh, but it's, kind of painfully obvious that James Gunn is just trying to recreate Groot. And it's not a complaint, it's just a nerd thing that I decided to get into. The character is funny. Sylvester Stallone's performance is funny. The character is lovable. Who better to portray a lovable loser giant than my main man, the the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant? Can you imagine these amazing King Shark lines instead of being voiced by Sylvester Stallone, voiced by Andre the Giant? We, let's see if I can do this. So this is Stallone. Friend. This is Andre. Friend. You know, it's it, very similar. Uh, I would never say that I'm a great Andre the Giant impressionist or a Sylvester Stallone impressionist, but try to watch... Andre the Giant, the Princess Bride, and not at some point get a smile on your face. I challenge you, wrestling fan, non-wrestling fan, the man is all heart when it comes to his performance. I think even Andre the Giant could shine through in a little ADR booth talking to a microphone saying, Onward, or friend, you know, whatever these King Shark lines are. I would pay to see it. Unfortunately, you know, we're never going to get it. But uh, he's the king of all giants. He's the king of the sharks, not the king of the seven seas. He's the king shark. He's Andre the Giant. And it's going to make everybody smile. And they're going to still have the wonderful scenes where he eats the enemies uh, piecemeal, where he shoves an entire enemy combatant in his mouth and just swallows him. All kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, not to mention that wonderful scene where he dances with the little starros or the the things in the the tank. Only people who've seen the Suicide Squad are gonna get this. But <laughs> now, can you imagine Andre the Giant trapped in like a voiceover booth? They lead him into this little box and like, Andre, I need you to talk into this microphone. I'm gonna tell you what to say. Repeat after me. Mr. McMahon, 
Let me out of this cage. Andre, I own your contract. You're going to do as I say. Mr. McMahon, let me out of here. You know, maybe he's claustrophobic. I'm not going to do any more Andre stuff because I don't want to make it seem like he's a big baby. But Andre the Giant trapped in a little room trying to get out. And Mr. McMahon, like, sticking, like, a little Snickers bar under the uh, the door. Be like, here, say the words. I'll give you the Snickers bar. So Andre the Giant's King Shark, and we got to go forward, or I could talk about this all day. And we just have a few more left, so hopefully your favorite WWE superstar is going to fill one of these final roster spots. And if not, I'm sorry. There's nothing you can do about it. Except, I suppose, you could angrily tweet me at SaveMarthaRusso on Twitter and let me know who you would have cast in place of who I put. So, next up on the agenda, we have another Batman villain. And no, it's not the Penguin or the Riddler or even Firefly. It's Polka Dot Man. Now, Polka Dot Man is a criminal that in the comic books has a, a like a suit that's loaded with different color polka dots on it which I know sounds ludicrous. Each polka dot has a different effect. Perhaps the red ones act as explosives. Maybe the blue ones allow me to teleport from place to place. The film version of Polka Dot Man is a little bit different. So how we're different is in the movie, the Polka Dot Man is a guy who has been experimented on by his own mother. Uh, she infected him with it and his siblings with an alien virus. The other siblings died, but Polka Dot Man survived. And because of this virus, he is often seen in a strange state where these disgusting polka dots grow on his body. And he has to expunge them at least once a day to stay alive. Uh, so basically, he takes a giant piss and all these polka dots come out of his body. And then he can gather them up and use them as explosive devices or weapons later on in the film. The interesting part of the Polka Dot Man is that he is motivated completely by the desire to want to kill his own mother to the point where he often sees his own mother's head in place of other individuals when he sort of spaces out. Uh, for example, there's this wonderful scene where the Suicide Squad sort of has a moment of peace and respite and they all go to this bar together, they get drunk, they tell jokes and stories, and Polka Dot Man gets wasted and starts grinding with some ladies uh, that we later see from his point of view are all actually his own mother, uh, but he's still in a unique state of euphoria, having a great time. So, I need a WWE superstar that is overcome with mommy issues, and what better character than piano-playing prodigy turned deranged superstar, mankind, Mrs. Foley's baby boy. Mick Foley is a kind of like the ultimate underdog, right? And Polka Dot Man is played in this movie as sort of a sympathetic character that's clearly psychotic, but the audience is rooting for him. I mean, that's the face version of mankind to a T. That 97 King of the Ring uh, on the quest, can he become the king? Uh, he's been a heel, but we're kind of rooting for him. Uh, and mankind's perfect for this. Now, we're not, we're going to kind of stray. We, we, I don't want the Mick Foley character. I specifically want the mankind character to play Polka Dot Man. But, uh, maybe, maybe in that scene where they're dancing, where he's dancing with the ladies, we can get a brief appearance from Dude Love. Oh, Steve O!
I love that initial dude love introduction video. Uh, it's always been a huge, huge favorite of mine. Just another reason why the, the summer of 97 and all of 97 was a fantastic time to be alive and a fan of good old pro wrestling or sports entertainment. So it's pretty cut and dry in my opinion. Polka Dot Man is Mankind from 97, and uh, he's going to be a nice way for the audience to latch on to one of these characters. And he's, he's got a lot of heart, King. So Mrs. Foley's Baby Boy is A-OK in my book as a Polka Dot Man. But now we've come to the main event, Bloodsport, the one-man army. Bloodsport is the de facto leader of the Suicide Squad in this film. He is played by Idris Elba, the man who should be James Bond. Some of you know him as Charles Minor from The Office. It, side note, I have gotten into constant debates with my wife as to whether or not Idris Elba has an English accent. And, of course, we all know that he does. But when he plays Charles Minor specifically, I will point to moments where he'll say something to Jim or something like that or say something to Pam. It doesn't matter who the hell he's talking to. But I'll be like, listen, oh, man, his English accent totally slipped out there, which I'm not trying to point out a fault or anything like that. I just love Idris Elba, and I wish he could perform all of his roles with his natural voice. But she doesn't hear it. She's like, oh, you're reading into things too much. And I say, bullshit. Rant over. So Idris Elba is a, is a fantastic character actor. Uh, well, he's more than a character actor. He's a leading man in this. But the character of Bloodsport is portrayed expertly by him. He is a man who is a one-man army because in the comics, he has a complete weapons cache available to him at any time because his suit has a built-in teleporter. So if he's in a situation where he needs a rocket launcher, he can issue a mental command to his rocket launcher in his warehouse, and it will teleport instantly to his hands, and now he has it. In the movie, it's a little bit different. All of his weapons are encoded into his suit using nanotechnology. So kind of think Iron Man in a way that if he needs a machine gun, he knows where to touch on his suit to activate the nanomachines to build the machine gun that he can then use. What's that? The machine gun isn't powerful enough? Let me mix it with this uh, grenade launcher and attach it together. Now I have a machine gun that's a grenade launcher. So it's kind of a cool way to have the weapons teleport to him without having to explain teleporting technology. Um, I think it's supplied by Lex Luthor in the comics because Superman is known as a, uh, a person that, or Bloodsport is known as a person that will fight Superman. As a matter of fact, in the film, they note that he's in Belle Reve because he attacked Superman and shot him with a kryptonite bullet, which I would love to see, but I don't think DC or Warner Brothers has any interest in bringing back Henry Cavill, which is a mistake. Uh, but I'm not going to rant about that. So Bloodsport was difficult to cast, okay, from the WWE perspective. I went back and forth on so many different uh, choices. And because of that, I'm going to give you my honorable mentions. As I had mentioned previously, the English accent is such a big part of this, only because I feel like any time he says something, he gets like two bonus points because of the accent. So if he's saying, ah, oh, go fuck yourself, you know, we've, we've heard people say that in movies a thousand times. But when Idris Elba says it, it comes out as, ah, oh, go fuck yourself. And it just sounds so much more awesome because of the accent. So 
My first honorable mention is King Booker, performing the entire film in a serious way, but adding his fake kingly accent to everything that he says. Another honorable mention goes to Big E, who I think could get the physicality and charisma of the role, but he would have to be dubbed with William Regal's voice, and I just don't think that's an appropriate combination or something I want to dive into. So, who gets the coveted role? Well, he doesn't have an English accent, but he certainly got a unique manner of speaking when he's talking about fools that he pities. WrestleMania 1 main eventer, Mr. T, is going to be Bloodsport. And it's not going to have an English accent. He's going to have that crazy Mr. T accent. The way he talks. It's like he's got to take a breath. He's out of air. He needs oxygen. Why is he doing this? Didn't he learn how to breathe as a child? I like Mr. T. I think Mr. T is a fantastic representation of the 80s and the WWF. I actually kind of like the boxing match from WrestleMania 2 as well. And I love when he's a special guest star in WCW when he's wearing, like, the old man's sleeping cap. As a, as a side note, I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in a couple years. I don't feel like anytime soon I'll be donning the old man's sleeping cap. But if you are out there and you do don the old man's sleeping cap, hit me up on Twitter, message me, write a review of the show or something, and explain to me what benefits one gains from the sleeping cap and see if you can sway my opinion because I'm willing to give almost anything a shot or a chance at a one-timer. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, man, Mr. T, I'm not saying the guy's a great actor. I honestly don't think he's a great actor. He's a great Clubber Lang because all you got to do is be Clubber Lang. He's a great B.A. Baracus because B.A. Baracus is basically just Mr. T playing himself. But I want to see what the T can bring when he's surrounded by a full cadre of WWE superstars, you know, he's got that great line where he's talking to Ratcatch is like, uh, or he says to Ratcatcher, I'll make sure you get out of here alive. And she says, no, I'm going to make sure you get out of here alive. But with Mr. T, it's, I'm going to make sure you get out of here alive, lady. Ratcatcher catching them rats. What are they doing? I don't like them. They smell. They carry diseases. Changing the world. Nobody can stop me. I probably shouldn't do a Mr. T impression, but his manner of speech is so unique. It's so fun to do. It's so fun to pretend to be Mr. T. Uh, you know, he's... Anybody remember Not Another Teen Movie when he shows up as the wise janitor? He's like, Captain America, you should have never thrown a touchdown to that little kid. I'm a wise janitor. I had to stop talking like Mr. T. I had to do it. Because later on today, I'm going to have to talk to other humans. And what if I just start talking like Mr. T? But that's where I landed as the leader of the Suicide Squad. He's the leader of the Rock and Wrestling Connection. Uh, he's Mr. T, and he's here on the place to be. I shall be there. Folks, that's it. That's a wrap on the Suicide Squad. Unless you want to hear these two bonus roles that I casted really quick and efficiently. The Jokers in the first Suicide Squad... I don't think anybody on the roster is capable of playing the Suicide Squad, but I did, I did, uh, you know, play with the with the little scenario where we could get the 2003 version of Sean O'Hare as the Joker. I'm not telling you anything you already don't know. And who better to play the White Dragon, Peacemaster's racist father? Think Iron Man, but he's the head of the KKK, which is not a humorous thing. 
But in the world of Peacemaker, it's a little humorous, and he's portrayed by the fantastic Robert Patrick from Terminator 2. I gotta imagine there's only one man that could fill the shoes of the White Dragon. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. They hand him the script. Uh, what? You want me to say that? What? What's, what's the catch? Oh, nothing, Vince. That's just the script. Ha <laughs> Alright, where's Cena? I'm gonna give him a piece of my mind. And that's it. The Earth Suicide's Earth Squad is now complete. We've assembled a roster. They're here to play the game. And they're going to obliterate all of the expectations that Warner Brothers has. We're breaking box office records. We're going to debut on HBO Max to outstanding numbers. Or are we? That's going to do it for us here in the Multiverse of Fabulousness. I want to thank everybody for giving us another listen. I want to take a, sh- take a moment to shout out the new project that's on the North-South Connection Podcast Network, the Cronoso Daily, where we are going through the WWF pay-per-view slash big event roster and giving you a match a day. It's better than a cup of coffee. It's better than an energy drink. I don't know if it's better than one of those McDonald's menu hack McMuffin hash brown combinations for breakfast, which kind of is gross. Um, but I'm not going to judge. You eat what you want to eat. I'll eat what I want to eat, and we can all be friends in the end. But check that out. Check out anything that's coming your way on the North-South Connection feed. We've got the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. TNA Never Dies is back. Those are your Tuesday shows. You've got WCW Must Die on Wednesdays. Uh, you know, New Gen on Emissions. Got some evergreen content. I know that was a Wednesday show. That's going to come back soon, stronger than ever. Extreme three-way dance, 9021 no-so, wrestling above replacement, no holds barred, lots of fantastic evergreen content that you're not going to find anywhere else, created by individuals that are just like you, we're fans, we're wrestling fans, we're pop culture fans, we're enthusiasts, we're here to have a good time, and we hope that our listeners do too. That's going to be it for me. I'm here to exit the multiverse, but I hope all of you stay fabulous and join us next time when we discover what other Earths are out there. And put your jet in gear, anything to get you out of here. Gotta go hit that ride to the setting sun.